Well, as we begin uh, to think about this passage this morning, one of the things I want to recognize right out of the gate is that we are jumping into the middle of a letter. <laughs> We're jumping into the middle of, of context that has been laid out before us. And more specifically, we are jumping into a discussion of spiritual gifts. You see, within the first century church here at Corinth, there was evidently some misunderstanding and some abuse about gifts and giftedness in the church of Jesus. Namely, there were some gifts in the church at Corinth that were being hailed as better gifts than other gifts. And one of those specific better gifts was the gift of, of tongues. And so here in these verses that I just read, Paul is laying out the groundwork for, for much of what is to come in the rest of the letter of 1 Corinthians. I fully recognize that there is so much to unpack in these verses. I am not going to satisfy your appetite, I fear. The listing of spiritual gifts, we could explore all that. How those gifts are to be used, we could talk about that and read the greater context. How we're going to understand, how we should understand that, that mysterious gift of tongues. We're not going to talk about that. At least not today. That's for another time, and I don't want to put too much pressure on my brother. He's smiling now. But after this quarter of discipleship hour, spiritual disciplines in the winter uh, quarter of discipleship hour, we are going to be talking about spiritual gifts. And, and Bob Miller is going to lead that class. And, and we're going to talk about how we think rightly about that. And so that's, that's coming if we don't get to it before January of, of next year. But for today, our purpose is I don't want to get lost in the trees, so to speak. I want to take a few steps back and, and look at the forest. And, and Paul kind of does that himself for us in, in verse 12, which is why we began there this morning. In addressing this issue in this local congregation, Paul, in these verses that we just read, I believe, gives us foundational truth for our life together as the body of Christ. And we don't have to get lost in all the, the trees of, of tongues and the specific gifts, although that's important and we'll get there at some point. Three foundational truths for our life together as a church. And the first one is this. God's vision for the church is unity in community. God's vision for the church is unity in community. I don't think I have to make the argument too firmly that we live in a world that is increasingly becoming individualized and alone. Charles Reich wrote in his book, The Greening of America, that modern living has obliterated place, locality, and neighborhood and given us the anonymous separateness of our existence. America has become one vast, terrifying anti-community. And we could add to that as, as we've, and I want to be careful, I don't want to knock Facebook too much, but we kind of have created a pseudo-community online, which has its place, 
has its good purpose, but is ultimately not true community. And so the world, our world, our neighbors, our coworkers are longing for this kind of community. This is what God, their creator, made them for as he invites them into the fellowship that he's enjoyed for all eternity past between the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the world isn't finding it. They're looking for this community. They're trying to manufacture this community. And sometimes they look at the church and what they see sometimes in the evangelical church is a focus and overemphasis on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not saying a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is not good, is not necessary. But as Paul steps back and considers God's design for the people of God, for the church, what he sees is a connected, unified body of Christ. When you are united personally to Jesus Christ, you are intimately, immediately, and eternally united to his body. And so using the human body to describe the whole, which Paul has done before for his hearers, here in his letter to Corinth, in regards to the church, he talks about the body of Christ. This this body encompassing a people drawn by and possessing the same spirit and baptized into the same name. So it doesn't matter if you're an ethnic Jew or not. It doesn't matter whether you're a servant or a master. No matter your heritage, no matter your status in society, the waters of baptism, in a sense, have washed those differences away. And we are, what remains, is Christ. Verse 12, did you see that? For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So you'd expect him to say, so it is with the church, but he doesn't. He says Christ. Christ so identifies himself with the church that he and the church are one. Remember Jesus' words to Saul on the road to Damascus in, in the book of Acts. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus, you're enthroned at the right hand of the Father. You're not here. And yet Jesus is being persecuted as his people are being taken. So the first truth for us to reflect on, I know I don't have to beat you over the head with this, many of you. I know you believe this is to reflect on our union with one another, our union with Jesus Christ. And so our language, you'll hear me say this language a lot, it should be increasingly our vocabulary. Brother, sister, mother, father in the faith. We are unity in community. That is God's vision for the church. And so then what do we do with our differences? Well, that's where Paul takes us next, and that's the second truth. Not only does God's vision for the church, unity and community, but God's work in us is through one another. God's work in us is through one another. I'm going to begin by reading you a story, a parable. It's a little bit lengthy, but it's interesting. It's out of a book 
that I read years ago. Nose and hand were sitting in the pew at church talking. The morning service led by ear and mouth had just ended, and Hand was telling Nose that he and his family had decided to look for a different church. Really? Nose responded to Hand's news. Why? Oh, I don't know, Hand said, looking down. He was usually slower to speak than the other members of the church body. I guess because the church doesn't have what Mrs. Hand and I are looking for. Well, what are you looking for in a church? Nose asked. Well, Hand had to think before answering. He and Mrs. Hand, they liked Pastor Mouth and his family, and Minister of Music Ear meant well. Well, I guess we're looking for a place where people are more like us, Hand finally stammered. We tried spending time with the legs, but we didn't connect with them. Next, we joined the small group for all the toes, but they kept talking about socks and shoes and odors, and that didn't interest us. When those looked at him this time with genuine dismay, aren't you glad they're concerned with odors? Well, sure, sure, but it's just not for us, he says. Then we attended the Sunday school for all you facial features. Do you remember? We came for several Sundays a couple months ago, but everyone just wanted to talk and listen and smell and taste. It felt like, well, it felt like you never wanted to get to work and get your hands dirty. Anyway, Mrs. Hand and I were thinking about checking out that new church over on the east side. We hear they do a lot of clapping and a lot of hand raising, which is closer to what we need right now. Hmm, Nose replied. I see what you mean. We'd hate to see you go, but I guess you have to do what's good for you. At that moment, Mrs. Hand, who had been caught up in another conversation, turned back to join her husband and Nose. Hand briefly explained what he and Nose had been talking about, after which Nose repeated his sadness at the prospect of losing the hands. But he again said that he understood, since it sounded like their needs weren't being met. Mrs. Hand nodded in agreement. She wanted to be polite, but truth be told, She wasn't sad to be leaving. Her husband had made just enough critical remarks about the church over the years that her heart had begun to reflect his. No, he had never burst into an open tirade against the body. In fact, he usually apologized for being so negative, as he put it. But the little complaints that he let slip out here and there had an effect. The small groups, they were a little cliquish. The music was a little out of date. The programs did seem a little silly. The teaching wasn't entirely to their liking. In the end, it was hard for the two of them to put their fingers on it but they decided that the church wasn't for them. In addition, Mrs. Hand knew that their daughter Pinky was not comfortable with the youth group. Everyone was so different from her, she just felt out of joint. Mrs. Hand then said something about how she appreciated Nose and all the leadership, but the conversation had already run on too long for Mr. Nose. Besides, her perfume made him want to sneeze. He thanked Mrs. Hand for her encouragement, repeated that he was sorry to hear of their departure. Then he turned and walked away. Who needed the hands? Apparently, they didn't need him. It's a funny story. It's a sad story. And it's a story, of course, that puts further feet, pun intended, on the imagery that Paul gives us here. Our differences as people... Our differences are not absorbed into uniformity, but are designed, are given to enable us to serve one another and to serve Christ together. In other words, we need one another. 
We need one another's differences and not just for the good of the whole, not just for our mission together, but for us individually, for our individual growth in grace and sanctification. See, as Paul continues to write in verses 15 and those that follow, he he calls out the absurdity of one member of the body declaring that either they are not needed or they don't need another member of the body. And yet this is what was happening in Corinth. And this is what happens in our own hearts and in our own lives. We naturally rank worth based on our own feelings, our subjective feelings, based upon societal fads, based upon standards that we've made up. We make judgments about ourselves and we make judgments about others. Judgments of of inferiority. I I just don't belong. Judgments of, of superiority. I have no need of you. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, just flat out wrong. It's just flat out wrong. First of all, this is God's project. At the end of the day, this, this is God's project. This is his vision. So verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And he says it again in verse 24, God has so composed the body. And what that means for us real practically is that everyone who is united by the Spirit through faith in Jesus and in our context is here at Ascension Presbyterian Church in Edmonds, Washington, is here because God put you here. Not just that. You are here because we need you to be here. Your abilities, your influence, or lack thereof, your financial stability or instability, your spiritual maturity or immaturity, your history, your age, your season in life, wherever you are, whatever you are, you are here to grow and you are here to grow us. And so secondly, and I made this point already, everyone matters. Especially those who are seemingly weak. See, the world, the world has its, as its measuring stick, and a lot of us have, have bought into that measuring stick of the world. Even, even the, the plethora of award shows on TV, we've bought into the measuring stick of who we ought to honor, who we ought to hold up. I may have read this quote before, um, Jim Carrey last year at the Golden Globe Awards, which I don't even know what those celebrate, TV, movies, maybe everything, I don't know. But he came and and he side-handedly poked fun at our society, at the show he was on, at the award he was presenting. He comes out and he says, I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. Remember this? Maybe I read this before. 
You know, when I go to sleep at night, I don't go to, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-deserved shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any dream. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey because then I would be enough. It would finally be true and I could stop this terrible search for what I know won't ultimately fulfill me. But these are important, these awards. At least from our perspective, this is huge, he says. And of course, the, the people there kind of nervously laughed. Is he kidding? Is he serious? What is Jim Carrey doing? And no one really knows. But it seems to me it was a, a poignant moment, whether intentional or not. And what the world honors some of the silliness of what the world honors. But in God's economy, you see, in the church, in this unity in community, the weak are the strong ones. The foolish are the wise ones. The dishonorable parts, at least from our perspective, are essential and are worthy of greater honor. And so when the world says, you need to be extroverted, the church says, yeah, we're thankful for those extroverts, but we need you introverts. When the church says, you have to have all your stuff together, we say, yeah, we're thankful for those who have reached some level of Christian maturity, but we need your mess too. When the Reformed Church, uh uh-oh, when the Reformed Church says, you need to be an intellectual, we say, well, we're thankful for those, but we need hands. We need hearts. We need not just heads and intellects. Because God's work in us and God's work through us collectively is through one another. Almost every week, we confess, we say out loud the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. What are we saying when we say that? The Heidelberg Catechism helps us. Answer number 55. First, that believers, one and all, as members of this community, share in Christ and in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it his duty to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. And this, of course, has application at at, at the local level, even beyond the things that we do, even beyond our our giftedness. Not only do we want to be a diverse church, but we want to bring those differences out, whether they be age differences, maturity differences, or otherwise. I, I love when people ask about the church that aren't aware of the church. They ask about the demographics of the church. And I think one of our greatest strengths is how different we are. Seniors and singles and empty nesters and young couples and young families. And that's why in this church, 
in particular. We, we want to enjoy our peers. We want to enjoy those who are like us, but we don't want to let those subgroups reign because we need each other. And this also has application, I think, in a, in a greater context, not just in our relationship to one another, but in our relationship to the greater church. See, we Presbyterians, we have a tradition of sound doctrine and, and intellect, and true theology absolutely should lead to doxology. But I would argue that we need those other branches of Christ's church that, that remind us that the Holy Spirit is active and moving and doing things incredible. We need those other parts of the church that are all about bringing people into the doors and telling unbelievers about Jesus. We need one another. And that leads us to the last truth. In light of all this, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, God's call is to care for one another. God's vision for the church is unity and community. We need one another. God's work in us is through one another. And then finally, God's call is to care for one another. About a month ago, I was walking in the lawn and I got stung by a bee on my foot. It's a normal thing for me. And the bottom of my foot is about as unglamorous a part as I have, and yet it demanded a response from all other parts of my body. The nerve in my foot sent an immediate message to my brain that something was wrong. My brain then told my hands to grab my foot and my legs to fold so I could immediately sit down. My eyes spotted the stinger and my voice called for someone to give me something to pull the stinger out. I needed all that communication to happen in order to be cared for. And Paul says, when we think about the body, the human body, the opposite of division, verse 25, is not necessarily unity alone, but the opposite of division is care, is empathy. Verse 26, suffering with one another, rejoicing when others are honored. We read about it earlier in Hebrews chapter 10 encouraging one another, all the more as we see the day approaching. One of my favorite quotes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's little book, Life Together. It's a great little book. I think I've read this quote to you before, maybe on multiple occasions, but he says this, when one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother, in the mouth of a man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart, the wounded, discouraged heart, is weaker 
than the Christ in the word of his brother. And so as one writer put it, a different writer, a church that only met weekly might be a teaching church and a worshiping church, but it could hardly, we might say it would struggle to be a caring church. And yet God's call is to care for one another. And I'll be the first to say this is hard. Uh, There's no doubt about it. This is hard. Not just the busyness of our schedules. Not just the geographic distance between our homes and our places of residence and our places of work. But just our own guardedness. And this is why, this is where community groups help so much. I'm not saying that it's the only way. I'm not saying that a community group is the only application of this sermon. Don't hear that from me. I'm not imposing that burden on you. But I'm saying that's why we do them. We don't just do it because it's a program. We do it because of 1 Corinthians 12. Because of God's call on the church. Unless you think that kind of the the small groups or community groups is just a recent fad. No, no, small groups are a historical reality. The book of Acts, the house churches of Acts were not mega churches. They were small home fellowships. They were essentially community groups. And the monastic movement of the medieval period was a, was a, was a, Focus was an aim at keeping, preserving communal life. And then even in the Reformation, ministers in the Reformation meant weekly for prayer, for Bible reading in smaller groups. I'm not minimizing what we do here. But we are one. We need one another. We need to care for one another. And these things just can't be done if we are content to keep our distance. And obedience to this call is not only for our own goods, but it is for his glory, for his vision, for his mission in the world. The world wants to know what Jesus looks like. They're supposed to look at us. They want to know what Jesus is doing in the world. They're supposed to look at us. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So brothers and sisters, we are the people of God, literally the called out ones, called out of darkness into his marvelous light together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the message of unity amidst diversity, of the call to care for one another, the promise that you, in this great design of the church, the body of Christ, that you are using one another to change us, to grow us. And so continue to teach us, Holy Spirit, to guide us, Holy Spirit, into what that looks like here at Ascension, 
to be obedient to your word in however, in whatever way you lead us to walk in that word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.